Welcome to Brains, Bibles, and Beyond, where we discuss theology and worldview apologetics. I'm Nate Day with Think Like Christ Ministries, and I'm here with our resident theologian, Joel Willoughby, with Brains and Bibles. If you would like more information about our ministries, check out our websites, brainsandbibles.com and thinklikechrist.org. And on whatever platform you are using, please like, share, subscribe, do whatever else you know you should do to help us out. If you have any questions, send them to podcast at thinklikechrist.org. And all you budding theologians out there, go grab your favorite theological coffee receptacle and enjoy this episode. Welcome back, everybody, and uh, this is Brains, Bibles, and Beyond, and today we're going to have uh, a guest with us, and uh, Joel, why don't you introduce our guest? Well, this is Mark Ward. Uh, I had a privilege of meeting him um, when I was at a conference and exhibiting there. It was actually kind of a funny story. Uh, I, I, wanted, I, I saw him, I knew him from his YouTube channel. I should check that out. Uh, just look up Mark Ward, and uh, you'll see it. He has an awesome channel. Uh, yes, definitely. He has a wonderful, gentle kind of approach. Uh, to teaching, uh, very stimulating information. Um, and so anyways, I've, I've seen him on that before. I saw him at a conference and I thought, I, I want to go talk to this guy. And he's talking to someone else. I, you know, I was just kind of trying to wait my turn. I'm lurking in the shadows. And uh, then I heard him say something about being in Mount Vernon. And I got excited because we're actually, we're literally, Nate and I here are in Mount Vernon right now. We're in Mount Vernon. Yeah, this is where, yeah. And so <laughs> forgetting that I traveled all the way to Salem, Oregon, <laughs> from Iowa, uh, I was like, "Oh, there we, hey, Mount Vernon." You know, I started talking about Mount Vernon, and you know, we had a, we had a disconnect there for a little bit. So we figured out, oh wait, Washington. He's in Washington. We're in Iowa. Yeah, a little different, a little different, but different Mount Vernon. <laughs> yeah. Still a great name for a town, though. <laughs> but anyways, uh, but yeah, Mark's well accomplished, uh, PhD over in uh, Bob Jones, and um, and uh, new is a New Testament studies. Mark, is that what it was? The formal title, in fact, it's right behind my camera up on my wall. For years, I just kept it in a drawer. But finally, yeah. when I got, got ordained, I, I put my diplomas up. It's New Testament interpretation. New Testament awesome. interpretation. Okay. That's what it is. Well, and in, in very fitting, as we're going to talk uh, a little bit today about such things. And so that's pretty exciting. Uh, he's a senior editor for digital content at Word by Word. And uh, that's with Logos, which I love Logos. And I have the, the software myself. And me it really helps me out. So uh, big, big plug there. Another cool connection I did not know before I knew Mark. Um, I went to a, a conference as a Christian school teacher, and um, it was hosted by Bob Jones University, and um, they, the, you know, BJU Press, and uh, they introduced me to this curriculum for uh, high schoolers, and it was the biblical worldview, creation, fall, redemption. And I looked it over, and uh, this is back in you know, 2016. I looked it over, brand new, and I thought, this is good stuff. This is really good stuff. I really like it, you know. And I actually took some things from it. I didn't actually use it as like page by page kind of thing, but I did take some information, and it, uh, uh, you know, it was impressive. And later, I find out that's Marks there. At least he, you know, not all him, but uh, but he he played a big role in in that. And uh, so I really appreciate that as well. And uh, here's a big one though. Um, he's got this fantastic book called Authorized, uh, yes. The Use and Misuse of the King James Bible. And uh, so, uh, you know, Mark and I have uh, some similar background in that, and we both have a love uh, for the King James Version as well as other translations and um, just to how it has 
you know, it has such a wonderful impact throughout history and even in our personal lives as we use it a lot. Um, and then just how it has been misused. And we're going to get into that here very shortly. I, I don't want to start getting to just right now. Um, but I will say that one of the things I love, he talks about, I think it's chapter three, and he mentions uh, false friends. And hmm. um, I know that, uh, Mark, you've had some difficulty when you articulate what you mean exactly by false friends. And some give you some pushback because it's English and English. It's not two different languages. And we can talk a little bit about that. Um, but I think the way Mark articulates it, uh, it is actually um, very fair. I think it's actually extremely accurate and it's extremely important. And I think it's one of the biggest misuses, the biggest dangers. Um, you know, I was essentially saying when you think you know what a word means, you're, you're sure of it. You don't have to. It's not like, well, I'm too lazy to get up and look it up. Right. You just you think you know what it means and you read your common understanding into something that has a much different understanding uh, a few centuries behind anyways i started getting into it so i wasn't gonna do that yet so uh <laughs> but anyways and then uh, i already mentioned the youtube channel but make sure you check that out mark ward this book authorized let's just get into it let's just yes, get into yes. it let's get into um, it mark why don't you i i kind of i kind of uh explained it a little bit but you'll do better anyways talk a little bit about false friends or maybe you want to start with a little bit of why the book even exists maybe we should start there yeah that's probably best Oh, yeah. Well, those are two related and very distinct ideas. Now my, now my mind is exploding with different ways to get into this. <laughs> but, um, how about I give, I, I give the little illustration or parallel that was really occurring to me. My church has some missionaries in Greece, and there's a Greek Bible college there. I'm not super familiar with their ministry to be honest. Uh, I'm, I, I don't know all of our missionaries well at all. I haven't been at the church super long for what it's worth. I was an assistant pastor at another little church that voted to close after COVID, and so I've only been at this church for two years. But anyway, I was just reaching out to our missions committee member or chairman um, saying, could you connect me with somebody over there? Because I've done some research into the Greek Bible, that is the modern Greek Bible, and I think it would really shock some people out there to realize that the Greek New Testament that, you know, I have actually several copies of up on my shelf um, has had to be translated into Greek, Greek translated into Greek. Well, why would that be necessary? Because 2000 years have elapsed. Right. And all right. languages change over time. Yeah, and if yeah. you've ever read any Wycliffe or even any Tyndale or if you've ever pulled up the original 1611 King James, yeah. you'll recognize immediately our language has changed since then. I think yeah. most people know <laughs> that there are words, yeah. therefore, that we we know we don't know, like besom, uh, chambering, and emerald. You know, those are some of my classics that I mentioned. And so when you run across those in the King James, yeah. you you know to look them up. But false friends are words that you run across that you don't realize you're misunderstanding because the current senses, you know, in contemporary English still work. Mm. But that's not what the King James translators intended. And actually, over and over again, I've run into these things and I've realized, you know, initially you might be thinking, well, did the King James get it wrong? So, for example, the word translated study, ironically enough, in Second Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved. Uh, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, that's a memory verse for, for practically everybody out there who's used the King James. And it's where we get the word Awana, right? Mm -hmm. uh, 
the word the word the Greek word for study does not mean hit the books or do academic research. It means be diligent. And you might diligently study, but be diligent is a much broader category. So did the King James translators make an error to choose a much more specific word? And initially it might seem that way until you consider language change and you right. go looking at the great Oxford English Dictionary, which I've got right there up on my shelf. It's it's huge. Oh, my goodness. The the reactions from uh, uh, <laughs> Mac OS Sonoma are showing there. That's pretty cool. I'm going to turn that off while I'm talking. <laughs> anyway, like the Oxford English Dictionary shows that study used to mean be diligent. Yeah, And okay. that just blows people's minds. It's very difficult for people to track with this. We're not, we're not used to thinking of our language as a changing thing. In fact, it kind of makes people antsy. Most of the changes that come up on our radars right now have to do with sexual perversion, right? So yeah. people start to think, well, language change is bad. No, every single word you use, every single word I'm using is the result of language change at some point. Gotcha. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. So, <clears throat> so the the changes that we've had in our language then over the years is um, just a natural thing. So, um, you know, bring bring that up. I mean, this is not an attack against the King James Bible because no, you know, at the time that was extremely accurate then, right? Exactly. But now, but now the word usage has changed, and and so then that's. Mm -hmm. um you know i guess part of what's brought about all these other ver uh, versions and translations and so forth right in fact this is a defense of the king james because at yeah. point after point if you go looking up the hebrew and greek words that are translated by study or halt or commend in various passages and people familiar with my work will know the passages i'm bringing up if you look them up you'll see oh my you know that word doesn't mean what the king james says it means mm -hmm. Until you bring in language change and realize that the word that the King James translators chose was very much appropriate for the English of their day. So sure. they spoke English, we spoke English, but our Englishes are not the same, just like British English today is not the same as American English. And yeah, even there are regional Englishes within America yeah. and Kenya and India and the kinds of differences that occur between Indian English. I was just over there one year ago with um, my church leadership and my wife got to come for a ministry trip. It was really awesome. We were just an amazing country. Their English differs from our English in one of the in some of the same kinds of ways that Elizabethan English differs from contemporary English. And the whole point here is just to have people understand their Bibles. So if you can watch all my stuff, you can read my book, uh, my upcoming book, Lord Willing, KJV Words You Don't Know, You Don't Know. Mm. I have a uh, yeah, contract for good. it. I'm trying to finish it up soon. Um, you, you can read those books and go through my materials and read your King James with better understanding. Well, you know, real, real quick, I, I the one resource I, I neglected to mention um, is the, your parallel Bible um, that you have, which I, I really appreciate. Yeah. And um, it's the kjvparallelbible.org. You can go there. And what's really cool about it, it's so simple. It's so easy to use. Yeah. And you just literally, you have the um, Texas Receptus in English, you know, translation into English. And then you have the critical text translation in English kind of thing. And it goes right, you know, side by side. And it even highlights the differences. You don't have to like search and search. It highlights them and it goes through. And I think one of the cool things about it is that you'll see um, just how similar uh, the overwhelming majority is. And the differences are things that are don't they don't change meaning at all uh, at all. Uh, there are some places where there is a, a change of meaning. 
Um, you know, one thing I thought, uh, I don't know if I, I should bring this up as a topic or not, but I know I, I've talked about it before with some just casually with some people, but uh, the one of the big changes would be like a Revelation 22 uh, in, in the back there. And Mark, I'm, I'm sure you're probably at least, you know, casually familiar, uh, but toward the end there in verse 19, uh, the difference of book of life and tree of life. Uh, and that's, yeah. that's kind of an interesting thing. And so there you'd have a big divergence. And um, I don't know how much want to get into that. This is probably a, uh, might be a longer explanation to explain how yeah. we arrived to those two different things. Uh, but it is just to show that there is, if you look through any passage, you're most likely not going to see a big change. But I, I, right. once in a while there is. I think before we get too far into this topic, um, maybe... Maybe Mark can just explain quickly to all of our listeners what the different what what is the TR and what is the, the sure. critical text. Okay. Yeah. Not everybody even knows what in the world we're talking about now. Um, sure, that's fair. Yeah. Well, um, you guys are the hosts, so I'm at your mercy. You tell me what I need <laughs> yeah. to talk about because I want to serve your audience. Let's, However, let's, I yeah. Oh, let go ahead. let go me ahead. preface it because I can answer this question. I mean, I could answer at great, great length, way more than anybody would want to know. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, yeah, that's what I love about you. But, <laughs> but I'd like to, I'd like to make first an attempt to deflect, because okay. this is very complex stuff, right? What the history of the Greek New Testament manuscripts that the Lord has preserved for us down through the centuries, you know, what they tell us and how to weigh. The usually minor differences among them, like the wise men came to see baby Jesus versus the wise men came to find baby Jesus. And it's Matthew 2.10 or 2.12. I can't remember now. 2.11. Um, that's not a big difference. There's no big there's no difference in meaning. Yeah. Um, how do we weigh those things? Why do those differences in the manuscripts occur? Why did the Lord let it occur? These are very complex matters because you in order to really understand them. I mean, I I often feel awkward saying this, but I, there's just no way around it. You have to be able to read Greek. You you have to be able to look at them yourself. And the truth is that that goes for Hebrew as well. It's a different situation because the Jews had you know custody of the Hebrew Bible for so many centuries and were very careful with it, of course, as the Dead Sea Scrolls have shown. But even in the Dead Sea Scrolls, which come from before Christ or around the time of Christ, there are minor differences between the great Isaiah scroll that I've seen in Jerusalem and the Masoretic version of the Hebrew. Yeah. So what do we do with all these? Uh, what I want to say is, even if your conscience is beholden to the Textus Receptus, which in general is the set of Greek New Testament editions that underlie the King James Version that I've got here, you don't have to get this all figured out, this, these complexities. You don't have to learn Greek. You can use the, uh, the Textus Receptus-based translations that have been made into fully intelligible contemporary English. So there are effectively no dead words and false friends. The New King James and the Modern English Version are probably the two most commonly used and well-known. You know, the New King James right at the top there that are based on the Textus Receptus, same as the the King James. Um, so I usually try not to even talk about this topic because okay. I find that debates about it get bogged down very quickly when the participants think that they're arguing about Greek 
but they actually can't read Greek. And here again, mm-hmm. I feel, you know, awkward saying this, but I think this ought to be straightforwardly obvious. If you can't read ancient Chinese, then you cannot have an intelligent debate about which manuscripts of Confucius are more likely to be original, right? <laughs> yeah, so yeah, what, yeah, what I, I found would often happen, and I'll stop here, and then you can press me on with more of these topics if you want, but <laughs> um, what I found would often happen is I'm not actually having an argument about the Greek New Testament. I'm having an argument with a brother in Christ that I love, with whom I'd rather not have the vision. I'm having an argument about which authorities we should trust. And I hate to say ever, don't trust your pastor. My goodness, I just feel terribly awkward saying that. I would not want to say that. I, if, I'm gonna, if I'm forced to tell someone your pastor is wrong about something, I want to be able to point to Bible and to something that's accessible to them. So that's why I talk about English. If, if someone is saying the King James Version is the only translation that anybody who speaks English should use, then I want to say, isn't it awkward for this view? Isn't it difficult for this view? But English has changed enough now that up on my channel, you know, I'm up around, I think I just filmed False Friend number 83. These are, you know, how can you possibly keep track of all these words that you think you know, but actually you don't know them because English has changed over time? Maybe at least it's time to accept a revision of the King James Version. I would much rather talk about that because 1 Corinthians 14 says edification requires intelligibility. It says clearly that you need to use words people can understand or they're not going to be edified. Whereas the Bible, in my estimation, nowhere says, it tells me how to adjudicate differences among manuscripts of the Hebrew Bible or of the Greek New Testament. So I want to stick with what the Bible says and allow liberty where the Bible has not God through scripture is not chosen to speak with specificity. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great point. I, I think um I, I so I think the primary I haven't I haven't read the entirety of your book. I'll admit that. It's okay. <laughs> but <laughs> I will. Um, but uh what would I gather from the book? Um, in my opinion, I think false friends is the nail in the coffin. I, I think that's the number one argument uh for you know getting that revision, you know, getting um, just a, awareness because we don't want to misuse. We don't want to misuse the tr- translation. Um, that's that's the idea. I I think another one maybe so we'll sidestep. We we mentioned some things. And I, I I like your approach to setting the foundation first. Um, and uh, I'm I'm a, a person that has you know familiar with the Greek language, uh, Koine anyway, New Testament Greek. <clears throat> and so not me. Uh, I, yeah. So I, I I can appreciate what you're saying about the necessities there. Um, I, and I'm just an encouragement for listeners, I would say, what I like to say is, you don't have to study the original languages to know the Word of God, um, right. but but it makes it a lot easier. I think you have to do a lot more work when you don't know the original languages, um, and at least, and you sometimes you have less confidence in a choice when you don't know the original languages, and um, and so there's, I just think it's it, it's better, it's, it's better, but if you don't, it's not the end of the world. You're going to have all your doctrines um, you're you're going to know how to please Christ day to day. So that's, <laughs> you know, the, the bigger issues are are, are okay. Um, and then you can just, you know, let nerdy guys like us, you know, discuss things and uh, figure out who's, you know, who's right. And, and that means you're going to have to trust somebody. You're going to have to trust somebody to translate yeah. for you. How many that's people true. in the world are really that good at biblical Hebrew and Koine Greek? I mean, there are some 
who can translate the entire Bible and just read it straight from the original Hebrew and New Testament and Greek. Even most biblical scholars, they specialize in either Greek or Hebrew, and they tend to have to trust other people to translate the other Testament for them. Yeah. Like I can check up on the translations of the Old Testament that I read, but at some level, because my Greek is better than my Hebrew, uh, I am leaving it up to scholars that I have to trust. And I trust the King James translators. Uh, ironically, sadly to me, a lot of people say when I bring up these archaisms that I'm bashing the King James and I'm attacking it. Absolutely not. I'm, yeah. Any more than I would be bashing Wycliffe who was the morning star of the Reformation, yep. to to point out that we just don't speak that way anymore. That's yeah. that's it's not an attack. Um, but I I think that if you can recognize you're gonna have to trust somebody and a, a lot of you know the, the King James only world, they they'll tend they only want to trust the King James translators. And I say, well we've got some options here, right? You can uh it's possible to trust people that are untrustworthy. I mean, and I think there there are some liberal translations out there or Catholic translations, sure. and I'm not going to trust. But I I think you're overreacting to say, well, we should only trust the this this particular set of Anglican translators from the early 17th century. I think the Lord has continued to give teachers to His church, as Ephesians 4 says, and I know personally quite a number now of the modern English Bible translators. And I think they are worthy of your trust. And a small follow-up, I, I talk about Greek and Hebrew all the time on, on the Logos blog and in my uh, YouTube work mm-hmm. for them and on my personal channel. And I I want to echo what you said, that what whereas I said for textual critical purposes, you need to know Greek and Hebrew, or it's really impossible to have an intelligent discussion. I do not say that about all of the things that the Bible does for us, doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, you can absolutely get all of those things just through translation. Because as the King James translator said in their amazing preface, even the meanest translation of the word of God contains, no, is the word of God. And the King James is not the meanest translation. It's an excellent translation. The ESV is a good translation. There's lots of other good translations. You can know God. You don't have to know Greek and Hebrew to please God and have good doctrine. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, I've been scouring your YouTube channel. Um, I tell you, that's a, that's a deep, dark hole that some of us could really get into. <laughs> um, I highly recommend that. Oh my goodness. There's some really good go, stuff on there. Go there. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, I never get the feeling that you're attacking anything. You know, you're explaining right. stuff and I appreciate helping that. me understand. So, um, I just want to reiterate what you said. Like you're not trying to attack, um, and I, I didn't get that impersonation at all, like impression at all. So um, one of the one of the videos I came across, I was looking at some more information just on your on your on your book, authorized, and it's uh, the top five things we lose as the King James goes away. Mm. And yeah. um, I was watching that actually uh, again this morning, uh, kind of prepping for this, and. Um, I think those are some things that we need to 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 consider um, just as Christians, because there are certain things. So I, I grew up reading the King James Bible. I wasn't in a King James only church. I think it's just when I was a kid, my parents got saved. Everybody told us, hey, the King James is the most accurate Bible. It's like you got that the NIV, <laughs> you know, and 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 we were told, yeah, read the King James. So I did like that's that's what I grew up reading. I memorized all my verses in it growing up. Um, 
you know, I was never a King James only, but I would definitely say I was a King James preferred at least because that's what I read. Um, and it, you know, I, I didn't have, I was also one of those, one of those people. So when I came across where I didn't understand, I, I looked it up, um, you know, and, and maybe that's just my, part of my upbringing, but I remember when I was a kid, you know, and we homeschooled and every time I asked my mom, Hey, what's this word? Mean? Look it up. You know, she'd help me. Yeah. I'd there, we'd go get it out and we'd look it up and we'd look and, yeah. and, um, and I, I suppose a lot of people don't necessarily do that because it, it takes time and effort. Um, and if you're just reading, um, you know, sometimes it, it can bog you down and slow you down. Um, but either way, you know, the King James is fading away and more and more translations are getting used. And, and, and um, you know, most churches that, that around here anyway, everyone's going to ESV for, for their translations in their, in their churches. Like I got um, here. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, I, I personally mostly use the new King James and uh, the NASB uh, for most of my own just reading and Bible study, but I have bookshelves full of, you know, different versions and Bibles and different things. Um, anyway, the, the things that we lose as the King James goes away, and I think these are just really good points. Um, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that or not. And I think sure. that that's beneficial for us to kind of think through like what, what we are missing by not having this universal translation we all use. Right. Well, I, I grew up in the King James as well. My parents were saved as young adults. My mom was saved in the mid seventies, uh, at a Josh McDowell, you know, evangelistic apologetics event. Sure. And my father was saved after coming into a time of personal trial as an 18 year old at, at the university of Virginia. He'd grown up in a very liberal church that, you know, left him with the thinnest possible gruel of Christianity, sure. but left him a Bible so he pulled out his Bible, figuring, okay, that's where I'll get some answers. And he repented of his sins and mm. trusted Christ and then ran into my mom in an elevator uh, while trying to deliver nice. class notes to some other cute girl in his class. <laughs> and that's his history, and here I am. And, yeah. uh, nice. My mom helped my dad get into church. And so my parents faithfully mm. raised me as a Christian, and they, I was, they actually their anniversary was yesterday as we record this, and oh, cool. I was talking with them and they said, what has kept us together? Well, it's our, it's our faith in Christ. So I have a heritage I'm grateful for. And what do you do when you have a heritage that you're grateful for? You hold on to as much of it as you can, right? Sure, do I yeah, believe everything right. that my parents said to me when I was a kid? Well, no, I have changed my mind on some things. Am I 98% of the way there? Yeah, I would say that I am. And my bent as a conservative is to hold on to as much good as I possibly can from previous generations. And uh, that's one of the values that we lose as we move on from the King James Version and move to modern translations. There, There is a connection with the past that we are severing. And that has a lot of practical ramifications where hymnody, like here I raise mine Ebenezer, the word mine causes a little bit of a problem. And Ebenezer, you know what? I was wondering, actually, does the King James use the word Ebenezer? Now I'm going to have to look this one up in Logos <laughs> Bible software. You know, it doesn't. Ah, ha, ha. I used a bad example. But it's that kind of thing, right? <laughs> it's the, you know, it does. It has a hyphen in it. That's why I didn't find it the first time. But I turned on Logos Fuzzy Search and found it. So Samuel took a stone, set it between Mizpah and Shen, and yep. called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Okay. I don't think, you know, I'm going to just check this while I'm standing here. That's 1 Samuel 7, 12. Funny, um, funny story, I doubt... quick. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Ebenezer, so when we, 
uh-huh. when we first started camp, solid rock creation camp, we thought about getting a giant bowler to put at camp and name it Ebenezer <laughs> because That's of that great. message. Um, so when you said Ebenezer, I'm like, I know what that means. <laughs> you know, and I came across I picked... that once and we're like, hey, we should do that. But then we never did because big rocks are hard to move. <laughs> yeah, I have discovered that as well. Mm-hmm. I, I picked this one out of the air. I haven't used this example before, but I've learned to check up on things. Actually, all the modern translations pretty much do use Ebenezer in this case. So that was a bad example. <laughs> there are places where yeah. the King James uses words that you know modern translations don't use because those words no longer are part of our English or mean something different. And they they pop up in our hymnody or in right you know classic sermon illustrations whatever, yeah. and and we lose that understanding we lose that connection. Um, those are valuable things that I would not want to lose if I didn't have to. But here here's what I always say: we have to use just weights, right? When we come to that scale, we have yeah. to ask not only how much does it weigh. That we get to use the same English translation that our grandparents and great-grandparents did. I mean, that weighs something. It certainly does for me. But we also have to weigh, how much does it weigh to read the Bible in our own English? I think that weighs yeah. more, right? Those aren't the only things that I weigh, but those are some of the big things that I weigh. So even though we're losing things of value, and I detail some of these things in the in the book authorized in the first chapter, I think what we're gaining by tending to move to modern translations weighs more because I think the one thing that weighs the most is intelligible English that therefore edifies people. So it's good to look things up in your Bible. You're never going to get a good Bible translation where you don't have to look anything up. There's going to be obscure plants like mandrakes and obscure places like the Negev and obscure people like Hatzalel Ponai that you're going to have to look up if you want to study. Those are all real examples. I like it. You um, just rip them off the top of your head. <laughs> but to to lay the burden on a 10-year-old homeschool kid, you have to look up the word besom. When you can just say broom, it's really okay. <laughs> I think that's good, right? You You don't want to lay an unnecessary burden on the many children sure. and drug addicts and prisoners and regular middle-class church-going people, let's be frank, who have difficulty speaking in older English and yeah. reading it. That's what's more important, what weighs more to me. Yeah, that, go, that goes into the other thing I wanted to actually mention, and I, I don't want to take too much of your time here, but uh, I am so fascinated in all these things, and I love it. Um, but I, I think, I can't remember if it's chapter, maybe it's chapter four, chapter four or five, something like that. You talk about the readability um, of the King James. I've always heard these things, and you know, I never even thought about the metrics they use to get there. Like to I, determine, what, right? What do you do? And so now I've read a little bit and um, uh, from you, and so I'd like you to touch on that if you could, um, and just to say uh, what they use to come up with that. Um, you know, the the fifth, sixth grade, whatever it is, readability level. And right. then, um, you know, what, what all goes into it, basically, is what I'd like to know. Yes, uh, I think the most common label that I hear is that the King James is at a fifth grade reading level. And I remember when I was sitting down to write that chapter of Authorized, I was actually writing it as a blog post on my blog. And this is now, boy, 
10 years ago, probably. Mm -hmm. And I worked for BJU Press at the time. And I kind of figured that the elementary authors who were just sitting across the aisle from me, because I was in the secondary, you know, high school area, I figured they would know about these readability tests. So I went over and asked the top elementary author, um, Dottie, uh, how, how do they determine these numbers? You know, you guys do this sort of thing for the graded readers that you have. Mm -hmm. And nobody over there in the elementary authors that I talked to knew exactly how it happened. And I remember sitting at my desk thinking, okay, it falls to me to figure this out. Little did I know, it's very, very simple. In fact, so simple, it's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> Basically, it boils down to they use math to count words in a sentence, how long are the sentences, and to count syllables in the words, how long are the words. And they say, as a rough and ready measure, shorter sentences and shorter words are easier, longer sentences and longer words are harder. That is it. The computer is not reading. It's counting. So I started to realize if you replace every other syllable with bub and nub, you know, nonsense syllables, you'll still get the fifth grade reading level. If you if you stick Swedish in there or half Swedish and half King James, then and as long as you have the same number of syllables in each word and the same length of sentences, you'll get the same readability level. On a more concrete level here, think about the word call, C-A-U-L. Do, do any of you uh, know what that means? I'm, I'm putting you on the spot here. It's a King James word, C-A-U-L. C-A-U-L? Uh-huh. Does that mean to like pull out from something or not? It's a noun. Mm. it's actually the like lobe of fat oh. on meat and it's talked about okay. in some no. you know some of those settings I wasn't gonna guess that no I wasn't and <laughs> how many you know I didn't know it either okay frequently people I think people think that I'm trying to put myself up as smarter than they are because I can understand the King James words actually <laughs> over and over and over again what I'm saying is I did not know this word myself I did not realize I was misunderstanding it in the case of false friends and in the case of dead words like call, I didn't know it. Well, how many syllables does call have? One. How many letters does it have? Four. Um, the call, C-A-U-L, and call, C-A-L-L, they have the exact same contribution to a readability score. But one is a word we don't know, and one is a word that we use every day. So you – when you try to apply these readability tests like the flesh Kincaid analysis to the King James, you're leaving out entirely the, the most important aspect of what ought to be tested, and that is the timeline. The, the readability test cannot account for spelling changes over time, word meaning changes over time. The computer has utterly no idea that it's even reading a language. All it knows is it's counting stuff. So the, the readability analyses have effectively no bearing on the debate here. And I, uh, I would like to see the use of that particular meme decreasing over time because of my work. Because there's a lot of my work that I think people could dispute, okay, even I admit it. But when it comes to this, I feel I was pretty definitive the readability analyses ought to not be used in this debate whatsoever. Yeah. Who's the best sure. judge of how hard something is to read? It's readers. It's not computers. Yeah, it's the person reading it. Exactly. 
And may, maybe maybe they can develop you know an AI system eventually that can do a good job, better better much better job anyways. But yeah, that's what they've been using. Um, I, I'll say real quick for the listeners' sake, uh, you know, you know, with about Mark putting himself on a pedestal, being smarter. You know, what what I know about Mark, very meek, humble guy, but he is definitely smarter than we are. So yeah, just so you know out there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just I, I'm going for more entertaining. That's what I, I at least maybe maybe I can you know. Uh, but yeah, no, I I really appreciate you, Mark. Thank so you. So I, I think uh, I think that the the natural question that our listeners are going to have now is then, all right, so what Bible version should I use? Like, <clears throat> and I know you may not with like, oh yeah, use this one, right? That's not necessary. But like, if you gave us like a top three. Hey, as far as I know, these are the most accurate and <laughs> and most modern English at the same time. We're like, hey, these are very usable translations. Um, do you have kind of kind of that? So I wrote an article that ended up being a chapter in the book Authorized, and uh, that was one of our most popular articles at the Logos blog. Not because my article was so great, but because people are searching for this online. In fact. Mm -hmm. I was right. just just looking at the stats for this uh, this search yesterday. The best Bible translation. People are constantly asking this. Yeah. So my title was my my title of the article was which Bible translation is best? All the good ones. That's the answer that I consistently yeah. give. Now I'm an evangelical Christian. I believe the gospel. I believe in the Bible's inspiration, authority, and inerrancy, and its necessity and sufficiency. All the classic doctrines of bibliology, in lowercase o, orthodoxy. You know, going way back into the early church, and of course, I think to Paul and Jesus, and even beyond. I think I have the standard evangelical view. And therefore, I trust evangelicals to translate the Bible for me. Are, are they all perfect? No. Do they ever make mistakes? Yes. In fact, some of them have acknowledged these, like mm -hmm. the words sinful nature in the NIV 1984, which they don't use anymore in the NIV 2011. But if you look at my Lagos shelf, you can't see it on here because I've sold my paper commentaries, but you'll see tons of commentaries by, pe by people like Doug Moo, on Romans. He happens to be the top commentator on Romans, you know, widely regarded as such. His first edition came out in 1996, and the second edition of it came out just a couple of years ago, like maybe 2016, something like that. Uh, anyway, the he he's the head of the Committee on Bible Translation for the NIV. The, the top biblical scholars that have done the most to serve the church and to help the church, you know, protect itself against uh, doctrinal error outside, you know, trying to come in. Often they are the ones who are working on these translations. So in general, I trust the evangelical translations. In general, I do tend to kind of want to start with the more literal translations. And for many years, I always thought, well, I'm going to have to decide. Am I more of a literal translation guy or a dynamic translation guy? And then I suddenly realized nobody's holding a gun to my head and saying you have to use only one kind. Like, why can't I use both? So I do. I use both all the time. Um, I tend to use the more literal ones like the ESV and the NASB and the New King James. I tend to use that as a baseline. And then the CSB and NIV and even the NET, which I usually use for its notes and not for its translation. But when I do check the translation, yeah. those and the New Living Translation, they tend to be more dynamic, more functional. Um, the CSB actually is a really nice middle ground, which I've been recommending a lot recently. Uh, that's what I tend to talk about. I don't give people the simple answer they want often because uh, I want to help them understand. 
if you bring some understanding of why these translations differ and what their philosophies were and kind of where they leaned, nobody's totally not literal or totally literal. You can't do either one. You just They just tend to lean one way or the other. If you bring some understanding of that into your reading of multiple Bible translations, then you're equipped to understand much better why they differ and therefore equipped to get the benefit of checking multiple Bible translations, which is what I want, because that's what brings understanding, I find. And that's my goal here. I just want myself to understand God's word, and I want others to do so as well. Yeah, that makes sense. That's awesome. All right. So then the next question that comes to mind <laughs> and, and maybe you don't have an answer for this. I don't know. Are there are there any translations that like, you know what, stay away from these. They're just not good. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there are. Most people expect me to start with the message. I won't start there because as long as you understand what a paraphrase is, sure. I think the message can bring some value. Okay. Uh, as long as you know that he's not saying that Psalm 1 actually contains in Hebrew the words, you know, smart mouth college, then I think you can do okay reading a paraphrase like that. Do I read it much? No. Have I read through the entire thing? I haven't. But I've done some checking in the message and found places where there was real insight. And sure. I I reject much of uh, what was distinctive about Eugene Peterson's theology. I read a biography of him in the last two years, and I was actually very much put off, to be honest. I came with an open heart, and I came away very disappointed in him, actually at multiple levels. But I also read his book, Eat This Book, about uh, the Bible and about Bible translation, and it was frankly excellent. He did know what he was doing. He read the Greek and Hebrew to produce this. There's some value there. What I would stay away from is the Passion Translation. It is There's no other word for it. It's a crackpot translation. Brian Simmons is an extremist Pentecostal who says that the Holy Spirit touched his forehead and caused a download of special information that others, others don't have. Um, he found he was told by the Spirit the secrets of Hebrew homonymy, which is frankly silly. Um, I, I, wouldn't, I don't see any reason to read the Passion Translation, although I have a good friend that I respect who says that she, she's a long-term educator decades in, in this ministry. She, she found value in it. I'm, I hesitate to burn any books. Uh, because it just, you know, makes people want to read them. But if yeah. I get, you know, some time to explain to people what I'm after, the Passion Translation is one I'd warn them against. And I've got more. Um, I did a series on sectarian translations, like the New World Translation from the Jehovah's Witnesses sure. and a couple others, and Crackpot Translations. I did some, some big videos on my channel about those categories. So I definitely well, do warn people away from some. So if, if people want to get more info on that, they can always check out YouTube channel then and we dig in a lot deeper. Um, no, that's perfect. Be careful. It's a rabbit hole that you can fall into it and is. not see your wife for about three months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. it, it can yep. be. And, yep. you know, and, and, you know, if you're focused on what, what to avoid, um, you know, you may, you're focused on the wrong things anyway, but at the same time, it's good to be educated and to know like what things right. are good and what things are, you should stay away from and things. So, mm -hmm. and certain people have interest in that and some don't, um, yeah, you know, I, I like details and, and I like rabbit holes. So um <laughs> good. I have a feeling you love my get, channel. It's one big rabbit hole. I may get stuck <laughs> on your channel from time to time. So I'll have yeah. to uh, take it in small doses or I may get in trouble. <laughs> right. Well, um Mark, I really appreciate your time. I don't wanna uh, take too much. I feel like I can just, you know, abuse you and take hours <laughs> with you, but uh I, I won't do that. 
And so uh, I just want to point people to your YouTube channel, Mark Ward. Just go check that out. It's very profitable, as we've already said. Also, his uh, book, Authorize, the Use and Misuse of the King James uh, Translation there. And then um, then uh, there's another book coming. You know, I, I would say probably go run and check that out when it's available. Uh, stay up to date with them. Um, and uh, did you are you still active with uh, you're still active with the blog, right? On my blog, uh, it's not very active. I'll stick little book reviews up there every once in okay. a while, but really all of my extracurricular energies pretty much are going into my YouTube channel and into uh, articles for other publications and into the occasional book. Okay. And then where can we get your book at? Um, what's the best place to buy it at? Um, Anywhere that nerdy books by redheaded authors are sold, you yeah. can get it. Yeah. So uh, I know you're on my website. Uh, yeah, Audible. I did the recording for Authorized. It's on Logos, uh, both as a you know ebook and as a audiobook. It's on Audible. It's on Kindle. You can buy it in paper from Amazon or from LexImpress.com. Um, I doubt it's in any bookstores out there, except for maybe Christian college bookstores here and there. But yeah, anywhere sure. books are sold. Awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah, in that KJV Parallel Bible That was yes. the other one I was. Yeah, I knew there was another one. That was the other one that's worth checking out. Uh, it's worth your time. It's uh, fascinating. Another little rabbit hole. You just kind of keep. You yeah, know, you, you keep going. Yeah, <laughs> and I love how it's made. Yeah, I mean, you, got, you got the differences highlighted, so I can just scroll yeah. right through. And I mean, I don't have to know what I'm looking for. I can just see it. <laughs> that's yeah, great. I'd really love for many, many more people to be using that. It took me several years with the help of multiple volunteers to get that done. It's quite a lot of work. It's really actually work. coming into Logos Bible software. It might possibly be coming into print as well in oh, 2024, yeah. nice. 2025. But people yeah. have been saying for quite a long time that the Textus Receptus and the critical text are radically different, completely different. And those are direct quotes from leaders in this oh, yeah. debate. Yep. But actually, I don't think that's the case. I think that the similarities far outweigh the differences and what I found was when I put this project together, I could not get anyone who was telling me that the differences are radical. I could not get them interested in helping me produce this website, which is just the facts. I am just presenting, okay, what are the differences? Um, I found that very interesting and kind of sad, actually. I, I don't yeah. want to see God's people divided over something that God doesn't say or that isn't true. And in this case, I think saying that the critical text and the Texas Receptus are radically different is not true. And you can see it for yourself in English at kjbparallelbible.org. Yeah. And, and literally, I mean, it's just a parallel. I like there's, there's no, there's nothing else there. Like it just, it's a, it's a right. study tool. <laughs> you know, there's, you know, it's, it is just the facts when you say that, like that's what's there. So you go, you, if there's, if there's differences, they're on there, but they're so far, I haven't read through the whole thing, but there's not many um, that that would be significant in any way. So I'll add with the because that Mark, obviously, if you go through it, obviously, there's a lot of work put into this website. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I, you know, if you go there, because maybe your appetite's not wet enough yet. Um, but there is, you know, at the top, there's these little, you know, tabs you can click on. So, you know, about it explains and it's not long, real, you know, real easy read, uh, just a few paragraphs. And it just tells you like the kind of background of it all. And then you have a couple other yeah. that are really interesting. The the TR quiz, uh, which text is the TR? And so you get to pick as you know, side by side, the one on the left, one on the right. Uh, you go through this kind of thing. And then there's another tab, which TR? So 
that if you're not familiar, there has been more than one thing called the Texas Receptus. Right. And, um, actually, a couple dozen, <laughs> a little more than a couple dozen. And so uh, it, it's 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 just would be fascinating, I think, for a lot of people to expose themselves to these things and understand that, um, you know, they, they might they might not be aware of the whole argument. Yeah. That, so that, it's that, complex. Yes. It, it is big. Because when you go there, you're going to think, you think, okay, now I'm going to know everything. And then you're going to realize, oh, there's more to learn. <laughs> yeah, yeah there's, <laughs> you know? there's right. a lot more out there. It's always how it goes. This is a great tool. So yeah. uh, everybody check out check out Mark's uh, uh, YouTube channel. Man, there's a lot of good stuff on there. Check out his website. And uh, yeah, and then uh, KGB Parallel dot or parallelbible.org. Um, there is some good stuff there. So yeah, um, Mark, thank you for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on. Um, I think it's probably early morning over there. So um, <laughs> thank you for Yes, I woke up early for you, but it was well worth it. And thank you for your <laughs> kindness and generosity, guys. We, we appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thanks again, Mark. <laughs>